our overarching uh, theme and image for this series of conversations, we're, we're in week six of a seven-week conversation about spiritual habits that help us grow healthy spiritual lives. And the image that we've used is sailing, right? Uh, just like when we're sailing, the wind powers, the wind fuels our progress. If there is absolutely no wind, we're dead in the water. But if there is wind, we can make progress when we're sailing. However, we, we have to learn some, some habits. We have to learn some things about how to sail in order to take advantage of the wind, to participate with the wind, if you will. Well, we said it's the same with our spiritual lives. We make progress spiritually because of the movement of God's Spirit through our lives, but we have to learn and practice habits that enable us to surrender to the movement of the Spirit, that enabled us to participate with God's Spirit, with God's activity in our lives. If I can, <clears throat> I'm going to step aside for a second and use a completely different analogy this morning. I have a friend who talks about uh, our spiritual life and routines, uh, habits, uh, disciplines of the spiritual life, like coming to church on a Sunday morning is a routine. Uh, he talks about those as if they are a trellis for our spiritual life. So imagine a trellis, if you would. Now, people who grow grapes know that uh, in order for grapes to grow healthily, you need to get them off the ground. It protects them from certain kinds of insects. It, it, it allows them to come to fruit and us to pick the fruit and take advantage of it much more effectively than if the grapes were just growing on the ground. So they build trellises and they let the grapes grow onto the trellises. He uses that as an analogy for actual practices, actual habits in our lives that enable us to produce more fruit, if you will, enable us to participate with God's movement in our lives. What I'm suggesting this morning is that the seven habits that we have been talking about, five so far, another today, one more next week, the seven habits that we've been talking about, it's as if they are the raw materials for my and your trellis. And so in effect, what we've given one another is we've given one another the boards and the nails, and we've said, and, and the outline, uh, here's how to build the trellis for your life. But you and I still have to put those together. We still have to create some kind of structure. Now, you'll have to do what is most helpful and effective for you, as will I. Some people need more structure than others of us. You know who you are. And others of you will need much less structure. But for all of us, we will not make spiritual progress unless we have some kind of trellis work, some kind of structure on top of which we're laying our spiritual, our participation with God's spirit. Uh, one very effective way to approach that is by using these habits as questions for yourself. Now look, many of you have done a hundred of these kind of things before, but I promise you this is a helpful one. So uh, we ask questions like, my next step toward using my resources with wisdom and purpose. That was our first habit. Or we ask, 
My next step toward practicing creative devotion. Or we ask, my next step toward investing in community. These are the habits that we've talked about. If you've missed any of our messages, you can go back on mygateway.life and find them. My next step toward nourishing others out of personal wholeness. Or my next step toward opening my life to people in need. Well, here's what I want you to do this morning. I realize this is partly artificial. But I want us to, we're going to do a little bit of lab work to just start out with this morning. And I want us to try to uh, noodle on answering those questions. Let's remember a couple of things. Those of you who have set habits or set practices or set goals for yourselves, you cannot possibly uh, take a major step forward in seven areas of your life. So you're going to have to identify one or two areas where you're going to try to take uh, a major step forward. And then for the rest, it may be maintenance or incremental step forwards. But I really, literally want us to fill in some of these blanks. Let me give you some suggestions. Uh, might go to the very first one, uh, using resources with wisdom and purpose. Uh, these, are, these are some answers that have come from people I know, from Diane and I, or from the staff. Uh, work on a budget for the year. Some of us have not adopted that practice yet. Or read a book on time management this year. That's a, that's a good practical next step in, in upping my game in, in this, this spiritual habit. Increase my charitable giving this year. You know, as, I, as I analyze my year, turns out last year we gave 7%. This year I want to try to, there's a biblical standard of like 10%. I want to try to get to that. Or the next one, practicing creative devotion. You might want to establish a, a Sabbath rhythm this year. There's just going to be a day where it's just you. And you're, you're just resting. And you're kind of trying to give yourself some time to connect with God. Or read through the New Testament uh, this year. Or, or between now and June. Or I'm going to fast one day per month. Or go to the next one, Mike. Investing in community. Maybe contact family or an old friend weekly. This is actually uh, my step this year in uh, investing in community. Um, join a small group. Some of you have not done that yet. Have someone to dinner once a month. That's someone else's goal, and I really like that. They're just going to pick someone new, that a neighbor or someone that they're connecting with at Gateway. Have them to dinner. Uh, go to the next one, Mike. Nourish others out of personal wholeness. Go to Marriage Enrichment Weekend. I won't say who that is. Write five thank you emails or letters every Friday. Some of you need that, that kind of structure. Uh, find a professional coach. Or um, opening our lives to people in need. This is what we talked about last week. Go on a short-term mission, mission trip. Subscribe to uh, the I uh, Commit to Pray newsletter. It gives you uh, uh, three notes about the persecuted church around the world each week. Or what, I liked this one. Watch the right television. Somebody told me about a, sh a movie that, that recently that they watched on Netflix. It's about a, a couple of... Syrian refugees who were swimmers. I think it's called Swimmers. Uh, and uh, their, their trek to Germany. And it just, this person just wanted to help the world after they saw this. And they, they, they said, I want to commit to monthly, I'm just going to watch a documentary or the right kind of television that will get my heart open instead of watching Korean dramas. Okay, so uh, I'm going to give you just like three minutes. Uh, identify one or two of those and uh, write a next step, noodle on a next step for yourself right now. So I hope you have one of these. I hope you have a writing utensil. Um, what would it be for you this year stepping up? Stepping up. 
If this is your first time with us, thanks so much for coming. My name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, this is going to catch you cold turkey. That's okay. You know, um, scribble down in one of these blanks. I'm not sure what's going on. think this guy might be crazy, and that'll work. I'm doing it like this with us this morning and encouraging you to do this lab work because I believe this lab work is critically important. But this is not a three-minute exercise, obviously. Uh, so you're not going to get very far, honestly. Although some of you are, in, some of you, and maybe several of you, are, are in the habit of doing this kind of spiritual work regularly. So this will be easy for you. Some of you may already have answers to these questions for this year for yourself. Still, I want to encourage you to spend some time noodling on this. If you're watching at home, you can find this on mygateway.life. And if you want to do this work later, you can go to mygateway.life and find this form. Or grab an extra one on your way out today, or use the one you're working on now. All right, pins down, SAT over. Uh, let me open us in prayer this morning. Father, thanks so much for welcoming, welcoming us into your presence. That's what we think has happened here. We believe that. We also don't believe that any of us are here by accident. You have drawn us together. This group of people will never be together again, and we're here for your purposes. We pray that you would break open our chests, massage your truth into our lives Father, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin, and I pray that uh, what is said today would be your word for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we add the sixth habit, the habit of uplifting God's character. I want you to think of your life this morning like a television screen. What gets displayed on the screen of your television? What do other people see when they look at your life? God's desire is that they would see his character displayed on your life. Now, what we've tried to do each week is uh, dial through these habits and then at the end get very, very practical. Today is really just going to be a rumination on a epic passage of scripture. We're not going to get very practical today. We're going to let you do that on your own. But today we're going to, we are going to meditate and cogitate on the holiness of God and, and really what that looks like on us. That's the, that's the meaning of this, of this habit, uplifting God's character, that the television screen of our life would display the holiness of God, the character of God. And to help us meditate on that, we're going to look this morning at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. And I'm going to read Hebrews 12, 1 through 14. Follow along with me. It will be on the screen. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to have it open to Hebrews chapter 12, or you can uh, look at your Bible app. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles it. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You just want to highlight every phrase in that, don't you? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And if you've completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son, it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems present at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You may be seated. In uh, 1927, 1927, the film director Cecil B. DeMille cast British-born actor H.B. Warner as Jesus in his famous silent film, King of Kings. Warner, who, uh, same actor, 19 years later, played the druggist in It's a Wonderful Life, was kept on a short leash during the filming of The King of Kings, Cecil B. DeMille was concerned that any behavior deemed by the leading actor inconsistent with the image of Christ would result in negative publicity for the film. So DeMille uh, enforced strict measures to ensure that Warner, the British actor, kept up a, a good Jesus image. Warner had him sign an agreement that barred him for five years from appearing in film roles that might compromise his holy screen image. Uh, during the filming, Warner was driven to the set with blinds drawn and wore, wore a black veil as he traveled. DeMille separated Warner from the other cast members, even forcing him to eat alone every day on set. Warner, by contract, <laughs> couldn't play cards, or go to ball games, he couldn't ride in a convertible, or go swimming. DeMille wanted, wanted Warner to be completely other, completely set apart. When you read the New Testament, it becomes clear that the Greek word hagios is a big deal. It, it's, it's kind of a, it's a central concept. It is a central character in the biblical drama. It's translated as holy. 155 times, holy one, five times, holy place or sanctuary, 10 times, and saint, 61 times. It often refers to God, and when it does, it means, number one, set apart, completely different. 
Number two, it means morally pure. At least one commentator said this word is essentially a synonym for God. Of the 155 times it's translated holy, 95 of those refer to God. Many of them to the Holy Spirit, but not all. But the other 60 times, pause for dramatic effect, refer to us. When you combine that with the 61 times that it's translated saints, that means over 120 times this word refers to us, as in our passage. What does it mean in us and for us? What what do we look like when we're holy? Well, that's the topic for today. This is what the television screen displays when we are holy people. Now, Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And in the preceding verses before that, the author has given us a, it's like a checklist for what holiness looks like, at least what it looks like camouflaged in our skin. So let's, I want us to look this morning at six characteristics. I'm going to have these on the screen except for the sixth one. I'm, it, somehow it got left out of my PowerPoint. So the, the, the very last one will, will not, uh, won't be on the screen. But six characteristics of holy people as outlined, hinted at, inferred in this passage. This will be, in effect, a checklist for what people look like when, when they're displaying God's character, when they're uplifting God's character. So, six characteristics of holy people. Number one, holy people are inspired by holy people who have gone before them. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12 began. That's because the author had just cataloged many faithful witnesses in Hebrews 11. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, just to name a few. Cataloged to inspire us. I I have lately been reading a biography of... uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was the, the great uh, revival preacher in the 1700s in the United States, uh, ended his life as the president of Princeton University. And it's just awesome, awesome life, awesome godly character. And I, I'm, I, you know, I hear his biography and I think, what have I done with my life? But I'm also inspired. Holy people are inspired by holy people who have gone before them. This is why we read the Bible. This is the primary source of our inspiration. I'm trying to read through the Bible this year. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I read the story of Joseph. If you've not read the story of Joseph lately, go back and read that in Genesis. Incredible story, incredible faithfulness, incredible courage, inspiring, awesome story. I told Diane the other day, I want Netflix to do a mini-series of Joseph's life. It's it's awesome. Holy people are inspired by the holy people who've gone before them. Secondly, holy people are focused people. Specifically, they're focused on what God has put before them. Let's throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily catches us up. Let's run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Think of a swimmer taking off her warm-up, even shaving her body hair. Anything that slows her down in the least will be eliminated. Think of the Apostle Paul who once said, Forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He has laid everything aside. He was intensely focused on what God had put before him. Plus, this focus is why holy people resist sin, even at great personal cost, because everything is thrown off. 
This focus is why we resist sin. Everything is thrown off that, that would prevent us from pressing toward what God has put before us. Look at verse 4. In your struggle with sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And this is offered as an inspiration. Of course, the author is clearly thinking of Jesus here. But he's also suggesting that this is what we will do if we are holy people. No matter what presents itself, we will press toward holiness, toward what God has laid out before us. Even if it means shedding blood, holy people are highly focused on what God has put before them. Number three, characteristic of holy people. Holy people recognize God's sovereignty in and over all circumstances of their lives. Holy people recognize God's sovereignty, God's control, God's God's direction, God's purposes over every circumstance in their lives. Let us run with perseverance, the author of Hebrews said, the race marked out for us. Did you catch that phrase the first time we read it? There is a race, some translations say path, marked out for us. Ephesians 2.10, Paul made the same point. Listen to this. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. This recognition is also why the author can say what he said in verse 7. If that sounded startling to you, verse 7 and the verses right after that, it rests on this principle that a holy person understands and recognizes the sovereignty of God over any and every circumstance in their life. Endure hardship as discipline, he said in verse 7. God is treating you as his child. Difficulty will be seen as ultimately coming from the hand of God by holy people. Pause, repeat that sentence. Okay. Difficulty will be seen as ultimately coming from the hand of God by holy people. In fact, this is a part of what enables us to uplift God's character even in trying times because we know God is sovereign over all things and he's working. You see, holy people understand that even difficulty is sometimes purposeful correction from God. And if we understand this, we can endure difficulty with vision. We we will see the purpose and the point of it. Maybe not specifically, but we trust God with that. Look look at verse 10. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God allows what he allows so that we will be more like him, so that we will be holy. Uh, Some of you know um, Johnny Tata Erickson. She is an internationally known speaker and writer who has had a profound impact on on millions of lives. She's also a quadriplegic. After living as a quadriplegic for 45 years, uh, I read an article where Johnny was reflecting on the diving accident that changed her life because she uh, she was not born a quadriplegic. As a 14-year-old, Johnny had embraced Jesus as her Savior, she says, but in her words, quote, she had confused the abundant Christian life with the great American dream, end quote. Johnny went on, she said this, I was a Christian and so, you know, that meant dot, 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 skip down. I would lose weight, I would get good grades, I would get voted captain of the hockey team, go to college, marry a wonderful man who made $250,000 a year and we'd have 2.5 children. It was focused on me. 
What can God do for me? I, I almost thought that I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus. She talks a little more about that. Later on, she adds this note. Uh, my boyfriend and I at the time were, were doing things together that we knew were wrong. In April 1967, I came home from a sordid Friday night date and I cried, Oh God, I'm staining your reputation by saying I'm a Christian. Yet doing one thing on Friday night and another Sunday morning. I'm a hypocrite. I want you to change my life. Please do something in my life that will jerk it right side up because I'm making a mess of the Christian faith in my life and I don't want that. I want to glorify you. Then I had the diving accident about three months later. Immediately after the accident, Johnny told God, you'll never be trusted with another one of my prayers. But after struggling with anguish and anger, Johnny said, I prayed one short prayer that changed my life. Oh God, if I can't die, show me how to live. And that was probably the most powerful prayer I had ever prayed, she said. Johnny accepted her tragedy as the path laid out for her. And God has turned that tragedy into an international ministry. Holy people recognize God's sovereignty in and over all of the circumstances of their lives. Fourth, holy people know and keep in mind that their faith has its foundation, its maintenance, and its growth in Christ. They know that their faith has its foundation, its maintenance, and its growth in Christ. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith. If Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, that means our, that our holiness is God's work in us. It depends on him. He is the author and perfecter. But notice what he's perfecting. It's our faith. In other words, holiness is an internal work. That's why our description of holy people involves knowing certain things, understanding certain things, recognizing certain things. Don't snooze on that. Holiness is internal work. In other words, holiness is primarily internal. It's not primarily focused on the external actions of being good. It is not H.B. Warner riding in a car with the blinds down and a veil and eating separately at lunch. It is work that God does in us internally. Of course, it gets reflected in our outward actions, in our public character, but it is essentially an internal work. Can I give you a really weird negative example and then try to turn it around positively? I think, I'm not sure, I think that uh, there is a football game today. For those of you who are American football fans, it's pretty immaterial. Nobody cares about these teams, but anyway... Um, there, the, the, several weeks ago, <laughs> hey, King Solvers, uh, several weeks ago, um, uh, the, the, um, even if you're not a football fan, you heard about this one. Uh, the Buffalo Bills were playing Cincinnati Bengals, and, and uh, DeMar Hamlin was one of their uh, defensive, I don't know if it was cornerback or safety, uh, and he got hit by an, a, a team, a player on the opposing team, and cardiac arrest and fell without a heartbeat onto the field. And he was on the field for several moments. Um, here's the thing. Take DeMar Hamlin's helmet off. Take his shoulder pads off. He looked fine. 
He looked like the picture of health. <laughs> I mean, jacked. But internally, uh, he stopped living. It was an internal injury. Now, eventually, I'm sorry to get really morbid, eventually, had he not been treated, that internal in injury would have definitely manifested itself externally. But it was, it was internal work. All right, sorry. But in the same way, only in the 180 degrees exact opposite direction, very positively, holiness is an internal work. It is, in effect, God jump-starting our heart, washing our mind. Now, of course, that will, that will reflect itself in our character, in our actions, in what we display to others, in what they see on our television screen. But it is internal work. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Fifth, holy people do whatever it takes to maintain a connection to God. Holy people do whatever it takes to maintain a connection with God. I, don't, I, I didn't even think about this as I was uh, putting this together, but I've always loved, super inspiring to me years ago when I was just getting my spiritual life together. Uh, the Apostle Paul says at one point in the book of Romans chapter 12, he says, never let your zeal be lacking. Holy people do whatever it takes to maintain a connection to God. Earlier we talked about focused. Now let's look at verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather walk. Holy people are not, let's don't miss this. Holy people are not resigned to failure or personal weakness. They don't surrender. They have failure, and they have personal weakness, but they don't surrender. They do whatever it takes to maintain a connection with God. They strengthen their feeble arms and weak knees. They, they plow, and they move rocks, and they level paths for their feet. You've heard this one before, but I, I happen to be reading this this week. It's just a reminder that, I don't know, fail, it's not a spiritual illustration, but it's a reminder that failure is not the end. Listen to this one. When he was seven years old, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality. He had to work to help support them. At age nine, his mother died. At age 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. As a store clerk. He wanted to go to law school, but his education wasn't good enough. At 23, he went into debt to become a partner in a small store. At 26, his business partner died, leaving him a huge debt that took years to repay. At 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him. She said no. <laughs> At 37, on his third try, he was elected to Congress, but two years later, he failed to be reelected. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for Senate and lost. At 47, he failed as the vice presidential candidate. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost. At 51, he was elected president of the United States. His name was Abraham Lincoln, a man many consider the greatest leader the country ever had. Some people get all the breaks. <laughs> Giving up and quitting is not an option for holy people. I have the quitter's gene in me. I bet many of you do as well. But as God has shaped my character, He's worked against the grain of, of my old self. Quitting is not an option. Holy people don't do that. There are a few of you who are struggling with chronic illness and or pain that are part of our congregation. This point made me think of you because some of you are the holiest people I know. 
You have not given up. You keep pressing ahead. You press into God asking him why. Uh, You come to us asking for prayer. You try to figure out what's going on and you try to make your life work in different ways to enable you to move on. You sometimes feel like a failure. You feel like you're so limited and you can't get it right. You aren't any good, but instead you're the very definition of holiness. You're strengthening feeble arms. You're making level paths. It doesn't look or feel like what you expected, but that's not failure. That's the path God has marked out for you for this season. At the risk of stretching the image here, I want you to notice in this that we're not charged to make knees for ourselves or breathe life into our own, our, our own self-created lungs. That, that is God's work. He makes our knees. He gives us lungs. We're simply doing whatever we can to participate with God and to maintain what he's doing in our lives, to surrender to that. Holy people do whatever it takes. They do whatever they must to maintain a connection to God. That connection is our lifeblood after all, and we know it. H.B. Warner, remember the actor who played Jesus in King of Kings? He would later reflect on his time of making the DeMille film as a, obviously, a very difficult time. All of the rules and regulations did not make Warner holy. Uh, Raise your hand if you're surprised by that. In fact, he he later intimated in interviews that it was during this period of, of the filming of this film that he became an alcoholic. Holiness cannot be imposed. It is God's work. But it's a work we must participate with, and holy people do whatever they must to participate. Uh, I don't want to end today, and and we've got one more characteristic I'm going to go over at the very end. I don't want to end today without at least hinting at why we pursue all of this. Now look, uh, why do we we think about holiness? Why 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 is it a habit? Why why should we lean into this? Uh, The the idea of uplifting God's character onto our lives. Why Why is this an important habit for us? This passage doesn't address that the why, really, but we should at least mention it before we stop. And let's start with what, what is not the answer to that question. We do not uplift God's character because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It does do that, but that's not, that, that's not sustainable. That will not drive holiness in our lives. We do not uplift God's character because it prevents us from getting into trouble. <laughs> that's also mostly true, but that, that's not sustainable. It will not drive us. The primary reason we display God's character through our life and actions is because that activity convinces the world that God is great. Through our lives, the world comes to know him. And that is an incredible privilege when you see that unfold, unfold in front of you. I love the way Peter put this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he said, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. We want, to be, we want God to be glorified. Several years ago, I read an article that powerfully demonstrated this, this truth to me, the, the, the why truth. It's written about a, a well-known consultant conference speaker. I won't give his name. Uh, this was his story. <clears throat> As, uh, you know, he talks about this uh, one speaking engagement he had. After the sessions, an attractive young woman knocked on his hotel door. This is someone else telling his story. When he opened the door, uh, she pushed through and walked into the room. 
You can't be in here, he said. Why not, she asked teasingly. Are you scared? The woman started acting seductively. She made it very clear that she was available for any sexual favor, favor of his choosing. When he insisted that she leave, she finally did something that was over-the-top provocative, and he ushered her out. Immediately afterward, my friend wisely told two business associates exactly what happened. My friend is a godly man, but he's human. He admits he slept very little that night. He couldn't get this woman's words or related images out of his mind. He tossed and turned. Thankfully, he hadn't fallen, but exhausted from being so provoked. Two months later, he returned to the same city, working with the same company he'd worked with on his previous visit. And when the same young woman came up, pulled him aside, we have to talk, she said. My friend's heart started racing as he feared the worst. Uh, her first words put him at ease. I can't thank you enough for being the first man who has ever cared about me more than my breasts. My friend learned that this woman had been abused earlier in life. She had been promiscuous ever since her early teenage years. Uh, and because of her physical appearance, no man had ever been willing to walk away from her advances. And so she kept reliving the moment of her deepest hurt over and over. I'm going back to church, she told him. I need to get my life back together. When I finally met a man who was more interested in me than my, in my body, it showed me how messed up I had become. Holy people are inspired by holy people who've gone before them. Holy people are focused, especially on what God has put before them. Holy people recognize God's sovereignty in and over all the circumstances of their lives. And instead of trying to control everything or believing in bad luck, their, their, their lives are characterized less and less by striving and, and more and more by surrender. Holy people know that their faith, which is critically important, necessary for our lives, has its foundation, its maintenance, and growth in Christ. They know that they are not in charge of their faith and they become better, more impactful people as they allow him to author and perfect it. Holy people do whatever it takes to maintain their connection to God. And one more, which will not be on the screen. Sorry, I forgot to add the last PowerPoint bullet. Uh, the, the old uh, Puritan pastor, J.C. Ryle, said this, Holiness is the habit of being one mind with God. It's the habit of agreeing in God's judgments, hating what he hates, loving what he loves. So it's number six. Perhaps more than anything else, the holy person will agree with God about sin. They see sin as, the, as ultimately undesirable. Ultimately undesirable. They learn to hate it. That's why they throw it off according to verse 1. That's why they, they fix their eyes on Jesus, according to verse 2. That's why they consider him and all that he endured, according to verse 3. And that's why they struggle against sin, according to verse 4. Holy people agree with God about sin. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And if you would, uh, pray with me. Lord, this is just a... a uh, the only appropriate prayer, uh, we stand before you, a holy God. The only appropriate prayer for us this morning is, I surrender. Uh, it's you. It's not me. And I pray that you would, Lord, baptize us with your spirit. 
I pray that you would pour yourself over us and in us, fill us up to overflowing so that our lives, our character, our decisions will reflect yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.